Welcome to the How to Be Awesome at Your Job podcast, the show where brilliant professionals share how to sharpen the universal skills required to flourish at work. Enjoy more career fun, wins, meaning, and money with your host, Pete Mikaitis. Hello, and thanks so much for joining us here for episode 113 with Jamie Newman. I'm excited to share with you Jamie Newman, the career podcast host of Your Best Manager, and he has some fantastic perspective on both sides of management. So you're going to learn, one, the five things you should do if you want the promotion, two, why good employees leave, and three, how meaningful goal setting builds tremendous loyalty. So if you want to check out the show notes, the transcripts, the links to items mentioned, you'll find that over at awesomeatyourjob.com slash ep113. Here's a quick bit about Jamie. Jamie Newman is a management professional, trainer, and coach through yourbestmanager.com, which is an online resource designed to help top performers become managers and help first-time managers learn how to build and lead effective teams. Prior to Your Best Manager, Jamie spent eight years with a major recruiting and consulting firm where he had the opportunity to work with hundreds of companies from mid-market firms through Fortune 100 companies. He's advised business leaders from frontline supervisors to senior executives on who to hire, how to hire, and how to manage performance. It's through this experience that he's been exposed to a variety of management styles and uncovered what works and what doesn't when it comes to leading people. Jamie also hosts the Your Best Manager podcast, where he interviews leadership experts and provides practical advice for first-time managers. Here's Jamie. Jamie, thanks so much for joining us here on the How to Be Awesome at Your Job podcast. Well, I'm excited to be here, Pete. Looking forward to it. Well, I, I'm sure that you've been asked this question more than once, but I, I can't resist because it's such a great title you have with your podcast, Your Best Manager. Can you tell us uh, who was your best manager and, and how did he or she influence your show being called just that? Yeah. So, and it's funny because you were actually the first person to actually ask me this oh, question. Oh, really? Yeah. Oh, and I thought, <laughs> yeah. oh, that's not original at all, Pete. Okay, good. No, all right. it is. And I, I'm not really sure why, but yeah. And I've had a very long time to think about this answer and I've decided to cop out a little bit, just like many of my guests do and not just name one, because one of the things that I've found, and I found this to be true through talking to so many people as well, but there are certain people that come into your life and into your career at different places that have different meanings. So in some essences, I couldn't pick just one that was my best. However, to avoid a full cop-out, I, uh, I will tell you that the first corporate manager I had, her name was Ivana uh, or Tolusic. Mm-hmm. She's Croatian, so I think that's the right way to pronounce her last name. She probably made the most significant memory for me from my career. And so I had just, I, I worked at McDonald's for five years, and then I landed this corporate job. And it was maybe my first month working for her. And she said, hey, we should go out for dinner. I'd like to meet your wife. And I was like, that's weird. (laughs) Normally, at least my thought of business was, well, hey, it's about you and me. You're my boss. I'm your employee. And and we can go out for dinner. But why would you want to meet my wife? And uh, we went out for dinner. And almost the entire conversation was between Ivana and my wife, Christina, And she was just telling Christina about what the job looked like, what the expectations were, how I was going to be managed, (laughs) who she was because she was a woman. And, you know, if I'm staying late at the office, I don't know how good of a call it is if I say, hey, honey, I'm going to be home late. I'm 
spending time at the office alone with Ivana. So <laughs> she was she was just really intentional about explaining everything she possibly could about our relationship, about the company, about the job to my wife. And it just meant so much to me, not only as as an example of of how to build relationships and an example of how to be a, a good manager, but personally I was like this woman, this manager of mine actually cares. Yeah. Not only about me, but but cares about my wife and my family. And and that so that was the most significant memory. I and I again I've had a lot of great, great managers. I've been I've been privileged, but that's the one that stands out most. Oh, that is powerful, yes. And and that that sticks with you. And and so and it happened right at the very beginning of things. Yeah. Yeah. And mm-hmm. and go figure. Some of the most uh, amazing times I've had in my career have been meals with my employees and their significant others when they've had them. So that's cool. Yeah. Yeah. You take it, you took it, you ran with it. And, and that's wise. Also, we were talking back and forth. I mean, I think there's many potential points of intersection that uh, you and I have with regard to, you know, our shows and our audiences. And so I guess I, I'm copping out a little bit by taking two topics in one. So (laughs) (laughs) But here we go. So I was, I was so intrigued in our back and forth talking about, you know, great people of which I, I think our, our podcast listeners are. And I, and I'm not just being patronizing. I buy that in terms of the commitment to development and, and the cool things that they're doing and I'm hearing from them. Yeah. So I want to talk about great people like our listeners and, and on two facets. I, I guess the, the Matt side, the light side and the dark side, you know, what, these folks need to do to get promoted and advance quickly and the dark side uh, what causes great people to to leave you know right under their manager so with that said can we kick it off and say what are some principles and tips and tactics you share for those looking to get promoted in and move quickly up their careers it's funny because there's a lot of people that really want to get promoted but kind of just sit at their desk and don't know what to do or, or don't know how to do it or, or don't do anything. And one of the most powerful things that young professionals, well, actually at any level, that a professional can do to get themselves closer or one step closer to where they want to be is to actually just make it known and tell somebody. I guess okay. it's so funny. I mean, if you listen to employees complain, and I, I recruited for for eight years, and so one of the things that you find within recruiting is you talk to a lot of people that don't like where they work okay. and they complain. And oftentimes they say, I should be X. I should have been promoted by now. But when you ask them, well, have you asked for a promotion or have you told people what you want? They're going, oh, sorry. Yeah, kind of. They, they, they mm-hmm. should tap me on the shoulder. And I've, I felt, felt the same way. So th- that's the, the first most critical, absolutely, you need to, to do this is make it known. Because one of the funny things is if you actually were to put yourself in a manager's shoes and think about how is a manager actually managed, their performance is measured by the output of their team, by the accomplishments. And one of those accomplishments is a manager's legacy or the manager's ability to take people within their team and have them perform highly and get promoted. So managers want their employees to get promoted when there are opportunities. So if you want to get promoted, you should tell your manager. <laughs> it's super simple, but it is the most absolutely critical thing that you can do to advance your career is to tell somebody. Oh, well, that, that sounds like it makes some great sense. And so I guess 
how would you recommend articulating that optimally? It's probably more than, hey, I want to be promoted. How do you you say that just right? In a way, I guess I, I'm thinking that some people could have some concerns like, oh, mm-hmm. my manager will think I'm ungrateful or I'm unhappy or I, I want to right. escape him or her. So how do you go about having that conversation? I'm going to say it, it may not be like reverse psychology here, but a, a little bit. So I, I would go in from a, a, a standpoint of, I don't want to say flattery, but you want to put the your manager in the position of feeling like they have control and that this is their idea. And so one of the things you can do is you can just ask, hey, where do you see me in my career? What opportunities do you think are available? And where do you want me to be at the end of this year or at the end of this quarter? Like, what are you looking for from me? And what that does is it puts a manager in a position where they're looking at the future you and the future you is going to be a better version of, of yourself. And from there, you can actually start talking about opportunities and performance because those two are going to be pretty closely tied. If the manager says, well, I, I don't really, I have no idea. I don't know where I want you, you to be. Well, that's a good time to be like, hey, well, can we set some goals? I'd, I'd like to do well. I'd like to make you look good. Um, I'd like to advance my career. Can we sit down and talk about that? You want to put the onus on the manager to almost make them feel like they're having an, an impact and an influence on you, which they are. I mean, they're, they're your biggest ticket. Sometimes we think we've got to hop over our manager to get to the manager's manager. But your direct manager has a huge voice and a huge pull when it comes to promoting you internally. But those things also, when you talk about, hey, where do you want me to be? They lead to the other things that you need to, to do to get promoted. And I mean, the first one is you need to be a top performer. If you walk into your manager's office and say, hey, where do you see me? Where, you, where do you want me to be? They're going to go straight to performance. And your ability to get yourself promoted and advance your career is going to come down to being a top performer in your role. And that's probably the first place this conversation is going to start. And then from there, it's, you can flip the conversation around to be like, okay, then what happens? So if mm-hmm. I accomplish this, if I get to where you want me to be, you don't want to necessarily say it like this, but it's like, what's in it for me? Where am I going to go if I accomplish these things? If I'm a top performer, what does that mean? And just ask the, ask the question and almost get the manager to start painting a picture of your future opportunities. Oh, I think that's great. You know, if I am a top performer, what does this mean? And I remember one, once when I was an audacious intern, I just asked the manager, it's like, so what do I need to do to make the, should we give Pete an offer question? And, <laughs> an absolute slam dunk, Yes. And he's like, <laughs> I like your gumption. Uh, he sounded just like that. Uh, <laughs> I, I believe it. <laughs> and, and so, so I think that's great is just by asking, you know, what does a top performer mean to you? But I'd say, you know, above and beyond the picture that gets painted there, what sorts of themes and patterns have you identified that really make the difference between the top performer and the, the middling performer? Yeah, and, and that's, that's a good question. But it also kind of depends on on what you're doing. After working with so many managers through my years, one of the things that I've found is there's a lot of managers that don't actually have a way to manage or to measure performance. Right. And so sometimes it can be difficult to actually know, hey, what is a top performer? Because what you want is you want something that's based on a number because the number is controllable and you can track your progress. But oftentimes it's things like, well, I need you to be taking initiative or I need you to keep doing what you're doing mm. or, or I, I need you to step up and take some risk. And, and there's no way to actually measure if you're doing that. I think 
the actual top performers find a way to measure that. And they ask maybe the second question of, okay, what does that actually look like versus just accepting the, hey, go be the best that you can be. And those numbers could come down for anything from customer service responses to feedback from clients to the number of phone calls that you make or the number of sales that you get or the ability to get projects done on time or the ability to take on more projects. Like There's a lot of different ways. And so I, I think in order to be a top performer, you need to understand and ask enough questions to be able to clearly map out what does a top performer look like in my job and how do you actually know if I'm doing it? Excellent. Yes. And so, you know, you would ask, what does that look like? Or to have some examples or to maybe just put a context there for the manager. Like, so on this project we are working on, what would be, you know, stepping up and taking risks look like there? So yeah. you can get it all the more real. I'll give you an example of, so I hired a number of project managers for an engineering firm. And the only way that their performance was measured was based on feedback from the client. And so if a project manager were to walk into his manager's office and say, hey, I want to be a top performer, that manager's only way to measure it would be to say, all right, well, you'll be a top performer when the client tells me you're a top performer. And so the second question there is, okay, what, what does that look like? Like, how do you actually get feedback? Do you ask, like, do you, act, are you actually calling them to ask how I'm doing? Cause that's totally cool, mm -hmm. but it, you could map out and come up with ways to influence and almost help guide your client to then call and give feedback to your manager. Certainly it may not be the necessarily the right way to go about it, but for, from the email, okay, how often are you meeting with the client? What are you asking them? What are they telling you? What's feedback you've heard so far? So sometimes you're not going to get necessarily a clear answer, but by asking additional questions, you can help kind of map out what does that actually look like? Well, that's really good. And I don't think there's any shame in asking folks to provide that feedback. And you know what I've found so interesting is that working with many of these guests who are tremendous authors, folks I really respect, you know, they'll mm -hmm. ask me, Hey, could you review my book on Amazon? <laughs> yeah. And I'll say, yes, sure. But I have a bit of a backlog if anyone's listening. I'm, I'm getting to it, I promise. Because <laughs> I want to, you know, read a good, a fuller section of the book to feel more authentic uh, in that review, as opposed to maybe the, the 30 pages I've skimmed. But so that's, that's great. And there, there's no qualms then. I guess that's a theme is asking upfront what does great performance look like? And then channeling the folks, if it is about feedback, to go ahead and, and do that, particularly when folks are, are feeling extra appreciative and, and thanking you and asking if there's anything I can do for you, whatever. It's like now that you, you know that this matters, you'll, you'll make that request. You know, well, hey, call so-and-so and, and tell them what you thought of this. Yeah, yeah. And I love that, that you, you bring that up because there's absolutely no shame in doing that. And it's funny because at my last company, we did a whole bunch of customer service surveys and we would call our contractors and our clients and say, hey, how do you think I'm doing? And they'd say, oh, I think you're doing great. Cool. Would you mind filling out this survey that's going to be sent to you? You're not trying to change someone's opinion, but people naturally communicate when they're upset more often when they're happy. And so asking if I was that project manager, I'd go straight to my client and be like, how do you think I'm doing? If they say not good, be like, okay, how can I get better? But if they say you're doing great, be like, would you mind telling my boss? That's the way he measures my performance. And if the person's happy with you, they're going to want to do that. 
So I, I, I think it's a great point to bring up. Uh, absolutely. No and, shame. Well, I, and I guess I don't know what kind of idealistic world I was living in before, but I think I just used to presume, and maybe it's who knows what proportion of reviews and positive feedback things come unsolicited from the sheer delight spontaneously that people have versus they've been asked. I think that it, it's true a fair number of, of the Yelp reviews or, or the Amazon reviews or any kind of positive feedback and referral mechanisms are happening because someone asked for it too. And that's totally cool. And it's not cheating. Maybe I'm just coaching my former self more than anybody else here. <laughs> <laughs> no, I, I think you're absolutely right. It's just the, the way things go. Because it's the same with, um, I, I don't know if you've heard this this conspiracy theory before, but about cell phone companies there's this theory out there that they'll intentionally screw up your bill from time to time just because they want you to call and have a great customer service experience. I have a cell phone provider and have zero issues with that. You could be getting the most phenomenal service, but you have zero issues. You may not notice, and therefore you have very low loyalty. But if you have a problem and you go get it resolved, all of a sudden you've had a different type of experience. And that's one of the ways that they apparently build loyalty. I don't know if it's true, but the, the concept is that people sometimes don't notice when things are going well because there's nothing to complain about. And so they don't think about communicating it because really if you're doing a good job at something, the other person almost shouldn't notice. Like if you go and buy a pair of shoes, sometimes you won't notice great customer service because it was just so easy. You just went in and bought shoes. What's, what's the big deal? But if you actually thought about it, I mean, maybe the person smiled and brought you two or three pairs and maybe they asked you personal questions and you just didn't notice because it was flawless. You walked out of there happy, but you had no idea why. And you had no reason to go back in, online and fill out a survey other than there's a hundred bucks for you, potentially, if you <laughs> if you follow what's on the receipt, right? Oh, that is good. And, and that just also just sort of renews my gratitude for maybe all the ordinary functional things of, of the world. I mean... As we're speaking, I've got an RCN gigabit, that's right, 1,000 megabits <laughs> connection, which has not skipped out on me once since I, I've gotten it installed in, in the, the new place for, for just over a month. And that's a, a lovely thing. And I guess if they asked, I would, I would tell the world that I, I'm pleased with my RCN. I know that's not always everyone's experience with a given yeah. cable provider. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, true. So that's cool. So, well, all right. Well, so anything else you want to say about the, 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 the light side, like how great people get promoted and, and what they need to be doing? Yeah. So I, I really touched on, on two points and there's, there's really five things that you can do to get promoted. Obviously the first is make it known. The second is be a top performer. But the, uh, the, the next few things that, that you, you can do is act as if, so find opportunities to start doing the, the role that you want and start showcasing yourself. Now that's going to be based on how much opportunity you have. But if you can take on additional things while not affecting your performance, you're going to demonstrate to senior leaders and, and to your manager that you're capable of taking on the new role. The next piece is peer endorsement. You want people talking about you. And one of the ways you do that is by being a leader, sometimes before you're, you're a leader, by serving people, by going above and beyond, by taking opportunities, by communicating so that when I've sat here, you, you got a team of managers sitting around a table and they talk about who's ready to be promoted. Mm -hmm. The person who got promoted is the person everyone's talking about. We probably don't have time to go in, into this too much, but there's a fear of, well, that's politics and I don't want to play the political game. But people, and managers make decisions based on what they know. And if people have no idea what you're doing, they're not going to endorse you. 
an appear endorsement or another manager above a, a level, like one of your manager's peers endorsing you, when people walk into a manager's office and say, hey, you need to look at what Pete's doing or you need to look at what Jamie's doing, that's a huge ticket to getting promoted. And then the, the last thing you can do is have a replacement plan ready. Sometimes, and as much as this may suck, some people don't get promoted because their manager doesn't have a plan to replace that person. Right. And it can sometimes feel like, I'm performing, I'm acting as if, I'm one of the best here, people love me, why can't I get promoted? And the manager sit in the office being like, oh, I want to promote him, but I don't know what I'd do if I lost him. So if you can participate in your own replacement plan and actually talk about that with your boss, you can expedite that process. And sometimes that means recruiting. And I, I, maybe it's easy for me to say I worked in a recruiting company, but is it that hard to pick up the phone and call five friends and, and ask them if they know anyone who would want to do what you're doing and, and, and almost take matters into your own hands to find that replacement. So those are the five things that, that you can do to, uh, to get promoted. Oh, that is handy. And, and that find your own replacement is quite insightful. I think that's easy to overlook that. And so good catch there. So, well, now let's, let's talk about the, the dark side. When <laughs> there's some great people and, and maybe you're in a managerial role and, and you've got some of these people who are, are working for you and contributing well, you know, what causes them to want to leave and quit? I'm going to burn through a bunch of these reasons and then we'll, we'll kind of talk, talk about a couple. This is not the number one, but it's the first thing we're going to talk about because it automatically comes up. Uh, compensation, if someone's okay. not compensated where they think they should be, they're likely to, to quit. Work-life balance is a, is a big reason why top performers quit. They don't feel like they have balance, whatever that means. They don't feel valued, and I don't mean uh, like they're not getting enough hugs, but sometimes being valued is feeling valuable, and that comes down to responsibility. Their manager sucks. Their company sucks. <laughs> sometimes, and this is a, an interesting or a surprising one that, that I found, but sometimes good people quit because they either feel like or they're actually not capable of performing the job, which seems wrong because they're a top performer. Why would, if we're talking about good people quitting, we're not talking about bottom of the barrel. We're talking about why your best employees may quit. And one of the reasons may be their capabilities or their perceived capabilities. What I mean by that is sometimes you may have somebody who's doing a good job, but inside their head, they're not. And they feel like they're failing and they feel like they're not good enough or they oh. feel like an imposter. And so they're carrying a bunch of stress and may end up leaving. And in other times, they're faking it. And so it looks like a top performer, but they're really not. And then uh, the last reason why good people quit is they're in the wrong job and they should be doing something else, uh, which kind of sucks because there's nothing really you can do in that situation other than expedite them leaving so that you can get the right person on, on the team. And so that's a little bit of a, of a, of a touchy one. But th those are basically the seven reasons why good people quit. Okay, and that, that's interesting. And so you said they weren't quite in order uh, by, I guess, frequency. But if you, if you had to take a crack at it, what would you say are the, you know, the top one, two, three in terms of most frequently arising primary driver of leaving? I'd say it's the work-life balance issue because that's the excuse for everything. And it's so hard, hard to, to define, but people make decisions based on, on what they want to do. And, and work-life balance isn't, it isn't necessarily ours. What I mean by that is people want, and I mean, maybe this is especially true for the millennial generation, but 
people want to feel like they're doing something meaningful in their work and they want to also feel like they do meaningful things in their personal life. And, and when they feel, and I'm using the word feel because it's not necessarily black and white, when they feel like those things aren't aligned, they're likely to consider quitting. And so work-life balance can show up as compensation. I'm not making enough money in my work to achieve what I want personally in my life. Or when I go to work, I don't feel valued and I don't feel like I'm getting out of work what I want to impact my personal life. Or my manager doesn't understand what I want in my personal life and doesn't understand what needs I have personally. Or my company doesn't understand and, and they make me work too many hours or they don't let me go to the gym when I want to go to, go to the, the gym. They're too restrictive. So you can almost have all of the other reasons summed up in whatever someone's version of work-life balance is. And again, you can't really define it because work-life balance doesn't actually exist. If you actually were to map out what equal balance is, you'd have to go based on hours and they're never going to be perfect. Well, so the interesting, so you, you'll, you're saying here, the most cited reason is work-life balance, but it's a bit amorphous as to what folks really mean by that because there are, it could be any number of these, these other drivers. So then... Then what's the real yeah. actual reason? <laughs> it's going to come down to their manager. As the age-old cliche saying goes, people don't quit companies, they, they quit managers. A good manager can avoid all of these reasons or expedite someone leaving. The worst thing a manager can do is let somebody be in the wrong role and let someone fail, which is why I say expedite. But people leave bad managers. Because you take any one of these reasons. Compensation, if someone leaves and says it's because of compensation, they could really, and again, that goes back to work-life balance, they could really be leaving their manager who wasn't able to articulate how they can achieve their compensation goals. So having a crappy manager who doesn't build relationships, who doesn't value you, who doesn't share opportunities, who doesn't set goals with you, who doesn't help you achieve your potential, who doesn't care about you, who talks down to you, all those things that make a bad manager, that is the number one reason why people quit. And it's the number one, even if people say, and, and again, people don't use the word work-life balance when, when they're quitting, typically. So sometimes they do, depending on the company. But uh, when people talk about their reason for wanting to, to leave, almost always it comes down to a bad relationship with their manager. Mm -hmm. Okay. Well, and so now then from the manager's perspective, you, you laid out some things that make a manager bad. Uh, what, what would you say are some of the best return on energy things a manager can do to keep great people sticking around? If a manager can find out what's important to their employee, then they can find ways to engage and retain them. Ultimately, that, that comes down to relationships. But your primary goal as a manager, your job is to produce results. And the way that you produce result, results is to help your employees produce results. I mean, at the end of the day, it's about business. But one of the ways you help an employee produce results is by motivating, inspiring, and keeping them engaged so that they can reach their potential. And the only way that that'll happen is if you can attach some sort of personal reward to high performance in the role. And the only way you can attach a personal reward to high performance in the role is if you know what's important to that person. That comes in many forms, which is why I say it's simple. It's just, hey, build a relationship and find out what's important. But it's, it, it can end up being 
difficult because in order to actually find that out, you need to be able to build a relationship and have honest conversation. You need the person to actually be able to tell you what they want. You need to be able to understand how your company operates and how they can actually attain what they want personally. So you got to be able to figure that out. You got to be able to understand how performance can impact compensation. You need to be able to understand how to set goals and how to set, how to help your employees set goals. You need to understand and ask good questions about how people feel appreciated, what they want from you as a manager. And that's not even touching on, you need to be credible. People need to trust you. You need to be authentic there's a lot of things that go into being a good manager, but at the heart of it, it's understanding what your employee actually wants and being able to show them how they can attain it by working for you and your company. Okay. Now, when you say what's important to them and, and what they want, I guess you can answer that question in, in all kinds of a ways. You know, mm-hmm. Some of them sound professional, like I want to have bigger challenges and, and growth and expand my mind and skill set. Mm-hmm. Or it could be very much on the personal side. It's like, I want to be able to go to all the most amazing restaurants in Chicago, <laughs> you know? Right, yeah. And, and so you're saying kind of regardless of, of yes. what side it ends up, you want to figure out a, a means by which you can help make that happen. Absolutely. That, that That's exactly it. Because the person who cares about travel and food and, and restaurants. Well, if, if you want to go to the best restaurants in Chicago, let's assume you live there, that's going to cost money. And you can still find a way to make a professional goal out of that because it's like, well, hey, how, much, how many restaurants are there? Let's, let's build that out. Let's find out. Let's, let's map out your goals for, for the year and let's find a way to tie your performance into being, being able to achieve those things. Now, the only, I guess, argument against that would be, let's say it's going to cost $4,000 and the person already has $4,000 and doesn't need the job. But you're not really going to be able to attach much to that. But the other aspect would be, well, what if performance doesn't immediately result in compensation improvement? Well, their performance, how is that actually going to achieve them going to restaurants? Here's the, the thing. If you're a good goal setter, that's just one of one goal. So, I mean, I'd, I'd recommend that managers set at least three personal goals and three per professional goals with, with their employees. But just by finding that out and just by understanding that those restaurants are important and helping your employee build out a personal plan to achieve that, you're building a fantastic relationship and you're, you're demonstrating to your employee that you care about them as a person, which is going to build loyalty but it's also going to open up opportunities for you to coach them and for you to find opportunities to make them feel valued. Something as simple as, hey, where's the next restaurant you're going to? When are you going? Well, I'm going next Thursday. Awesome. Do you want to leave 30 minutes early? Hey, if you get this done, this done, and this done, I'll let you leave 30 minutes early. Like You can find ways to allow them to see the correlation of work-life balance and see the correlation between how doing well in their role can actually help them achieve personal things, if, if that makes sense. Oh, certainly that, that is good. And I would love to hear maybe a couple more examples of, of that creative intersection that you're able yeah. to, to determine. Like you've discovered a, you know, a need, a desire, a goal that's important to someone. And then you in your managerial capacity are bridging the gap to that thing. So you gave a couple examples for how you might do it in the restaurant world. What are some other cool connections that you've seen in your work? I'll use a really common goal. It's January when when we're recording this right now. Losing weight uh, has nothing to do with work at all. 
However, as a manager, you should get excited if one of your team members wants to lose, lose weight. Losing weight or getting in shape has a lot of um, benefits aside from what we see physically, right? And when you think of uh, energy levels and when you think of, of focus, when people are feeling great, they're going to perform better. So a manager can be excited if that's a, a goal for, for the team member. But there are certain things like understanding and helping them figure out a schedule that's going to work for them to go to the gym or um, being able to just talk about how stress and anxiety can contribute to poor eating habits or, well, even, I mean, physically, I've been in the worst shape of my life when I'm the most stressed at work. Yep. I don't have any science <laughs> behind that. I, I know it's true. I'll second this. Um, <laughs> when you know that's important to your employee and you can create an environment where they feel they're uh, flexible to do things that are going to help them a, a, achieve that. It, but that one is a little bit of a sensitive one because you never want to be like, hey, so how much weight have you lost? It's kind of a weird question, especially if you're managing a, a, a woman. But mm-hmm. there's ways to, to tie those thing, things together and to just help your employee understand, okay, what's that look like? eating well? What's it look like sleeping well? What's that look like from a stress standpoint, from a workload standpoint? So there's a lot of things you can do to get creative there. Well, absolutely. And I'm, I'm just thinking right there, it's like, well, hey, if you prefer to work out during lunchtime, I'll make a note to not schedule any meetings, you know, at, at 1.30 because you'll probably need that time to go to the, the gym and shower. And what's so cool is I could really see the momentum building on this because it's like from an employee perspective, it's like, my gosh, my, my boss opened up this time for me to work out. I don't feel yeah. like working out, but I kind of think I should. And then they do. And then you're glad that you did. And then you're appreciative of, of the, the manager for making that happen and, and being a real part of that, ultimately the victory. And I can really see how this builds momentum and cascades into tremendous loyalty. Yeah, because let's say things happen in a perfect calendar year and no matter what, your employee's not going to quit for a year. If January 1 or, or the first week, you sit down with your employee, set a couple personal goals, say, hey, I want to buy a new car this year, I want to go to the restaurants, I want to lose weight, and some professional goals, and you tie those all, all together, every single opportunity you have to coach can go back to what's important to them. And you can actually be that accountability partner and that coach that not only helps them achieve some professional things, but personal things. But at the end of the year, when they've accomplished those goals and you celebrate some personal things that have nothing to do with work, the loyalty, but just think about how that employee is going to feel. They're going to look at you as their manager and their company as a primary reason why they achieved something personal, something really important to them, something that made their, their life better. And, and when we talk about their why or, or whatever, they can't imagine going anywhere else because they're going to be terrified that they're going to get a manager that doesn't care about them. I worked for eight years with my last company. And one of the biggest reasons I never quit was because I was terrified. Well, obviously I did quit at the end, but uh, <laughs> one of the biggest reasons I never quit when times got hard was because I was terrified that I wouldn't find another company or I wouldn't find another manager who actually cared about me personally. And that was something that I, I was fortunate to have common throughout each of the people that managed me is they actually cared about me as a human. And I thought, I know so many managers that don't do this. Like, what if I leave, think the grass is greener and go to another company and find out that that manager doesn't care about me personally? I can't give up. I got to push through. So there's a huge, huge piece of, of loyalty. And go figure when you push through tough times, when you get outside your comfort zone, you'll accomplish great things as well. So That's good. 
Oh, well, Jamie, thank you. Would you tell me, is there anything else you want to make sure that you get to mention before we shift gears and talk about the fast faves? One thing that I'm sure some people listening may be thinking is, hey, I want to quit my job. How do I know when I should quit my job? Okay. And uh, I won't spend too much time here, but my short answer is just wait, give it six months. Whenever you're thinking about quitting, and I, I, did, I did this myself, I was kind of forced to because we had just bought a house and so I had to wait at least six months before I considered consider qu- quitting my <laughs> job. But I always wanted to quit on top and I always wanted to make sure that if I was going to resign, if I was going to walk away from something that I'd given it my all. And so I think no matter where you are outside of safety issues and harassment, you can always give an extra six months. Those six months look great on a resume. It allows you to have gone through a challenge. And if you feel the same way six months from where you feel today, it's time to leave. But you shouldn't, you never want to walk away from something not knowing if it could have been better because you didn't give it the chance. Oh, that's, that's very wise. Very wise. Thank you. <laughs> well, now could you share with us a favorite quote, something you find inspiring? I don't know who said this, but it was written on the whiteboard of, in my boss's office or something like this. Enjoy the journey as much as the, as the destination. All right. I just love the, the thought of, hey, we often work towards some end goal and think we're never going to be happy until we get there. And there's a lot of good things that you can appreciate and, and moments along that journey. Mm-hmm. And how about a favorite study or experiment or a piece of research? Yeah, so I've been uh, referring back to, it's an article from 2012 in, in Harvard Business Review, but we wait too long to train our leaders. And it's a, a huge motivation for, or inspiration for why I started the, the company I started. But the average age of a first-time manager is 33. And um, of course, average means there's younger and older. But the average age that people get actual leadership training is something like 40, 44, mm. so, or maybe 42. So, so most managers don't actually get trained to be leaders. To I mean, people get trained how to do reports, performance reviews and stuff. But people don't get trained how to inspire, how to lead, how to build relationships, how to um, help people reach their potential until they've been managing people for eight or nine years. And there's a lot of casualties with that. Mm, understood. And how about a favorite book? Uh, Winning by Jack Welch. It, it's just really good practical business advice that hits every aspect of management from how to hire people to core values to how to fire people. Oh, thank you. And how about a favorite tool, whether that's a uh, you know, product or service or app or, or thought framework? I'm going to say Google Docs and Sheets and Drive and all those Google things. I just find, and I actually didn't think about this until you asked, until you asked this question, but I find myself, anytime I need to write anything down, I'm not grabbing a notebook anymore. I'm hopping on docs.google.com and writing it in there because I can access it anywhere. Understood. And how about a favorite habit, a personal practice of yours that helps you be awesome at your job? I read the Bible every morning and I write in a journal almost every day. And if I'm not feeling inspired to put pen to paper, I don't, but I always have my journal out. Oh, right on. Which is funny because I just said that I don't use a notebook. But. <laughs> <laughs> well, I get the, I get that. Like if you're in a sort of a prayerful zone, somehow the digital blue light just, I don't know, it doesn't resonate as much for me. Yeah, well, yeah, and if if I'm actually reading, I have to turn my computer off or else I'll just like, I'll hear a ping. Oh, and like, certainly. What's going on? <laughs> <laughs> and how about a particular nugget, uh, a a Jamie original that you share that tends to really resonate with folks and get them, you know, retweeting and and taking notes and all that. Yeah. This goes right back to what we were talking about. Your employees are going to struggle with motivation if they can't see a correlation between work and personal achievement. Okay. There it is. And what would you say is the, the best way to contact you if folks want to get in touch or learn more? 
I've got everything at yourbestmanager.com. It's got a, a podcast. There's a free 10-day video course on employee engagement. There's free webinars, a whole bunch of stuff. Everything I do is on all my social media. All that stuff is uh, through yourbestmanager.com. Okay. And Jamie, do you have a, a final challenge or call to action you'd like to issue forth to those seeking to be more awesome at their jobs? Yes. And this one, it's, I don't know, are you ready? Bring it on. <laughs> <laughs> don't wait for someone else to take you where you want to go. I've always said that if I was put in a company with a poor manager, I'd figure out a way to be successful. But I think that too often when we're not where we want to be, we just like to blame our circumstances or blame someone else. And when it comes to, to leadership especially, there are so many free and paid resources out there through books, through online learning, through what, whatever you want. There's zero excuse to not put in the effort to figure out a way on your own to, to go where you want to go. Now, you do need other people, but the big call to action is just don't wait for somebody else. If you're sitting back blaming other people for where you are or and you want to go somewhere, take action. There's so, so many resources and so many opportunities. Brilliant. Well, thank you, Jamie. This has been so much fun. I hope that uh, your best manager is going to be blowing up and that you have great success with what you're up to here. Why, thank you. I love that take there that your employees are going to struggle with motivation if they can't see that connection between the work and the personal achievement. It makes so much sense. And yet it seems kind of rare for folks to take that time to make that connection. So don't be one of those folks and help your manager find the connection. So if you'd like to check out the show notes, the transcripts, the links to items mentioned, again, that's over at awesomeatyourjob.com slash ep113. I also recommend you punch subscribe if you haven't already. So you'll catch our next guest. It's Alan Willett. He'll be talking about leading the unleadable and just how one achieves that. So I hope to catch you then. Peace. Thanks for joining us for today's episode. To get the most out of this conversation, visit awesomeatyourjob.com to find today's show notes, transcript, and infographic summary cheat sheet. For more entertaining professional skill sharpening, be sure to subscribe to catch the next episode of How to Be Awesome at Your Job. 